This is Linux Reality, Episode 14, Command Line Basics. Hello, welcome back everybody. My name is Chess Griffin and I'm your host for this show. Last week we uh, just talked about the uh, concepts of users, groups, and permissions at a very basic level. Uh, this episode we're going to also look at something at a very basic level, and that's the idea of the command line. So we'll take a look at an overview of the command line and terminals and things like that. We'll talk about some basic commands that you can use if you decide you want to uh, start exploring the command line. Uh, before I get to that, however, I've got a few housekeeping items that I wanted to address. Uh, first, uh, and most importantly, I've been meaning to mention this, and I, I keep forgetting, and oh, gosh, I apologize in advance. I received my first donation uh, from a user named Raymond. Thank you so very, very much, Raymond. That was really nice of you, very unexpected, and very much appreciated. Uh, it does cost me money out of my own pocket to pay for this podcast and to, and to produce it in the form of hosting fees and, and stuff like that. So your donation is really appreciated, and it will go right back into producing the show. So thank you, Raymond. Secondly, in the last episode, a user had, had asked about the Linux box, something that was provided by the folks that run uh, linuxbasics.org. Uh, well, Stefan, one of the editors of that site, sent me an audio file about LBOX, and he kind of goes into some discussion about VMware as well. So let me play this little audio clip from Stefan. Hi, Chess, and also hi to everybody listening to LinuxReality.com. This is Stefan from LinuxBasics.org. I want to explain some things about the VM player and also the LBOX. VM player is a product from VMware. VM stands for Virtual Machine. They have created a program which simulates a computer inside a computer. This might, so might sound ridiculous first, but it's really useful for some people. You can create a virtual computer which exists only inside a set of files on your hard drive. You can back up those files and use or abuse that virtual computer in any way you like. At that point, you can restore back from backup and you have the nice clean installation you started with. Isn't that what we all wanted to do with Windows sometimes? Since the virtual machine is isolated from the so-called host PC it runs on, and since any changes can be easily undone, virtual machines are ideal for doing potentially insecure stuff, like surfing in an uncontrolled environment. Jim mentioned surfing at a hotel where there are other PCs in the network which might try to hack into yours. On the download page, VMware offers a safer surfer appliance, which you can use in such scenarios. And when you are done surfing, any changes that malware has done to the setup will become undone. Another great application for virtual computers is to try out new operating systems, Linux distributions, or simply try out new settings. At linuxbasics.org, we were running an online Linux course for the last nine months. As we advanced, there were exercises in the lessons which could mess up a PC big time. Since not everybody has a spare box to install a training system on, I thought it would be neat to try things out in a virtual machine. About at the same time, VMware announced that it would release its VM player at no cost. As the name suggests, 
The player only runs existing virtual machines. To create them, you need to have to pay for the big VMware product. So, I created on my VMware a virtual PC. It has a big virtual hard drive and all the peripheral devices you need, but no operating system installed. Since the virtual hard drive is empty, it does not take up much disk space or download space. I call this virtual spare box the L-Box, which is a pun on our name linuxbasics.org, or as we abbreviate ourselves, capital L, capital B, regular O. You can download the L-Box and install any PC operating system on it. While you will need a license from Microsoft to install Windows, you only need an ISO image or an install CD to install any Linux distribution you want to try out. You can find instructions on how to do it at linuxbasics.org slash course slash lbox hyphen howto. A little word of warning. Running virtual machines need a lot of RAM. 512 megabytes is the minimum and I would recommend 1 gigabyte. It's better. So. Thanks, Chess, for your great show. I really like to listen to it. Bye. I'll have a link to the L-Box and related information in the show notes. Stefan, thank you so much for putting that together and sending it along. It's greatly appreciated. Okay, let's check out some listener feedback. Message for you, sir. All right. Uh, one listener, Johns, he sent me a few emails this past week about a few different things. And first, he sent me a link to a to a, uh, a distro chooser, something that helps you try to figure out what distribution would be good to, you know, for you to use based on things you like. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Secondly, he also sent me an email about package management. This goes back a couple of episodes. I think this is where I was talking about the opt directory, and I had mentioned that OpenOffice.org is often installed there, and this is what he had to say. Chess, I agree with you on OpenOffice. However, I did want to mention something that I think your listeners would value regarding Firefox. The downside to using native package management for Firefox is it will, in most cases, stay close to the shipping version. Take Ubuntu and Breezy 5.10, shipped with 1.0x. That's an older version of Firefox. So an Ubuntu user has yet to experience 1.5.x since updates are only security updates to the base install. In Firefox's case, I would install it locally in your home or say opt if you want it shared. Since Firefox has its own security update scheme, you can use that and get the updates immediately upon release. Firefox is a rare exception, but due to needed web features and security, I believe a non-native package install is the best option. Thanks, John. Well, John, that's a good point, and that's something to consider. I don't know if the Firefox update feature that was uh, implemented in the five or in the 1.5 uh, branch will include future updates that are non-security related. So, for example, when Firefox 2.0 comes out, I wonder if that feature will upgrade your Firefox to 2.0. I, I don't know, but um, but those are some good points, and that's a good idea. Uh, value, you know, install it in your home directory or possibly your op directory. That does make a lot of sense. So thank you, John. All right, next, uh, Ken sent me this email. Hi, Chess. Firstly, what an excellent show. Please keep up the great work. Like most people that have written in, I am also not a new Linux user, but I like the structured, accurate, and thorough approach you are taking. 
When you have finished this, the introduction shows, I would suggest that you release the different episodes as an audio CD ISO, possibly without the mail and intro music, etc. I would love to give an audio CD out together with, with a distro boot CD to new users. Continue as you were going, Ken. Uh, Ken, thank you for that suggestion. I've thought about trying to do something along those lines, putting together a CD or something. I, I don't know. That's maybe something I do down the road. I'm still kind of exploring not just the show, but how to produce it, the type of content and, and the structure and, and all that. So, But I appreciate that feedback, and that's definitely something I'm going to consider as I kind of go forward. So thanks, Ken. And then lastly, I've got an email from Aiden. Uh, hey, Chess, my name is Aiden, and I'm from Sligo. I think it's pronounced Sligo. Ireland. Been listening to your podcast for a few weeks, and I think they're great. I've been using Linux for a couple months now. Tried SUSE and Mandrake a few years ago, but didn't really see anything at the time to tempt me away from Windows. Then a friend of mine showed me a demo of XGL, and I knew I had to have it on my desktop. So I made the change to Linux and haven't looked back since. Maybe you could tell your listeners to check out the Corora XGL Live CD. I think they'd really like it. Your last show helped me understand permissions a lot better. If I ever run into a permissions problem, I've been in the habit of using 777 per permissions for whatever I need. Now I think, now I'll think more carefully about which permissions I use. Thanks a lot and keep up the good work, Aiden. Well, thank you, Aiden. Um, about that Corora, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, XGL Live CD, a couple things. I, I've never used it, so I can't really speak to it myself. Secondly, it's been in the news lately. I, apparently there's some controversy about it regarding the GPL, uh, but it does sound like it's pretty cool. Uh, the XGL, for those who don't know what it is, from, again, I haven't really tried out any of these, you know, you know, uh, fancy pants effects, but it's supposed to be a, a way to really do some some really cool graphics effects on your desktop with, you know, rotating desktop cubes and and you know, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, if you Google for Novell and XGL or something like that, I think there's a, there's a video out there that I've seen that, that looks really, really cool, but I have not played with it very much. Um, but, you know, folks who are interested in it can check that out. Check out the Corora. It's spelled K-O-R-O-R-A-A. -A. I think that's right. And, uh, and then thank you for what you said about the permissions. I appreciate that feedback. Yeah, the permissions is a very tricky thing, and, uh, you know, that, that episode was very high level, very basic, wasn't supposed to cover everything under the sun, so I, you know, just supposed to give people an introduction, and that's kind of what we're going to do now, an introduction, very basic introduction to the command line, so let's check it out. The first thing I want to mention off the top is I'm really torn on this subject in the sense that you know, there are some people that feel that new users should not be exposed to the command line at all. That it's, you know, it's something that's scary, it's kind of foreign, and people who are coming from Windows, they, they don't have to do that typically, so why should new Linux users? And we want to, you know, make things as, as GUI, you know, GUI, as graphical as possible. And then there's other folks that feel, well, you know, the command line is just a part part of Linux. That's just the way it is. Linux is not Windows. There are things you can do in the in the command line that are that you can do easier or quicker or better or whatever than using a GUI tool. So we need to expose new users to the to the command line because it is part of Linux and it's just a fact of life. And it's a tough one, you know? I mean that's a tough that's a tough issue. I think there's some good points on both sides. I think about you know, I've said this before, when I'm doing this podcast, I think about people I know in my life 
in my family and friends who are just computer, you know, they just don't know anything about computers. I mean, they just don't. They just point and click. And, you know, they couldn't care less about a, about a lot of the technical stuff and about a lot of the legal stuff and the, the free software issues. They just, you know, for them, they just feel a computer's like a toaster. And I mentioned this a long time ago in one of the early episodes. I don't think that's accurate, but that's the way some of these, that's the way some folks think. And so I think about these people when I'm doing this podcast and, you know, to ask some of these people to open up a terminal and to type commands, they would just run away screaming. So, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for that argument that says we need to make things as gooey and user-friendly as possible. And then if people want to, they can go on to more advanced topics like the terminal. But then I also feel very, you know, I have a lot of strong feelings that, that tend towards the latter view, which is that the command line is part of Linux. I use the command line all the time. I love it. I barely I feel like I barely have scratched the surface on what it can do but I just I'm very comfortable in it and it doesn't bother me one bit so and and part of me feels that you know Linux you know is not Windows and so that's just part of Linux so anyway I guess what I'm trying to say is this topic has got some conflicting points of view it's a difficult one if folks who are listening are not comfortable with the idea of using a terminal or command line then just you know skip this episode don't worry about it I am primarily focused on, on new users and, and trying to make things GUI-friendly. So most episodes are not going to be this technical. And this is not even going to really be that technical. This is going to be very basic. But I'm just throwing that out there. So sorry for the long-winded introduction there. I guess we ought to get to the meat and potatoes part. Um, there's really two things to talk about here, I guess. The first is the, well, two two terms to talk about in the very beginning the shell and the terminal. Now, I'm not a hardcore developer and everything, so if I get some of this not exactly right, forgive me for all you advanced users out there, but the basic concepts as far as I understand it is the shell is the it's a, it's a basically a program that allows you to interact with the computer directly. It doesn't involve any sort of graphics. You know, when you boot Linux into a prompt you know, in other words, where it does not boot to uh, a GUI interface, it, it boots to the shell. And you can log in, and the shell is sort of maybe even the first layer on top of just the kernel. So it's basically a terminal, but it's but it's it's using the whole... I mean, there, there is no graphics involved, generally speaking. The terminal, however, is is an application within a desktop environment or within a window manager... That lets you interact with the shell. Uh, it's, it's it's why oftentimes these things are called terminal emulators. Uh, so if you're running KDE or you're running GNOME and you and you, you you launch a terminal, it's a little program that lets you sort of interact with the shell or it, or you know replicates the the shell. But it's not the same. It's not you know you could also log out of KDE or GNOME into the shell directly. So anyway, hope that makes sense. Um, the most common shell, I believe, in most Linux distributions is called Bash, B-A-S-H. Um, there are other shells. I have never tried any of the other shells, so I can't speak about those at all. But I think Bash is the most common one, and that's the one that I'm most familiar with. Terminals, there's a bunch of different kinds, obviously. KDE has its own terminal called uh, Console. Uh, it begins with a K. GNOME has a terminal. I think it's called GNOME Terminal or something. There's E-term, A-term, X-term, 
RXVT. There's a bunch of others, um, but these are all basically, um, you know, little little programs that when you run them, you'll have like a little DOS-looking prompt, for for lack of a better way to describe it. Now, one thing that's interesting for for Windows folks is you may not realize this: Windows has a terminal as well. Windows XP and all previous versions. If you go down to the Start menu and then click on Run and type in the following, cmd.exe, you'll see a terminal window pop up, kind of like a DOS-looking type window. So this is not necessarily something that's unique to Linux only. Uh, Mac OS X comes with a terminal, uh, so it's, it's not that uncommon. The terminal is sort of the behind-the-scenes way to interact with the computer, you know, um, and the, and the graphics environment sort of operates on on top of that. But the advantages to using a terminal, in my mind, these days, is that it's fast. Um, I tend to be a keyboard kind of a person. Like I like to use key combinations and keyboard shortcuts. And I mean, I even remember this back in the days of WordPerfect 4.0 and 5.0. I mean, I knew all the key codes to do all the various things in WordPerfect, and this was in the you know the DOS type days. And uh, when they've you know nowadays with everything's point and click, I actually find that slower. I find it slower to move your hand from the mouse to the keyboard and then back again. So for me, at least, using a keyboard as much as possible is actually faster. The other advantage to using the terminal is once you get used to it, you can do very complicated tasks with just you know a few few wor- a few words or you know a line of, of code or something can do some very powerful things and this is that's more advanced of course but the idea is that you would slowly learn so you can get to that point uh, there's a lot of things you can do in the terminal in Linux I mean there are terminal music players there are terminal browsers there are terminal FTP clients I mean, you can just, you know, you can burn CDs and DVDs from the terminal. You can do just about everything. In fact, most GUI programs in Linux are merely, they're, they're called graphical front ends uh, to the terminal command line applications uh, or scripts. And that's something that's kind of foreign, I think, a lot of times. I mean, K3B and all the other kind of CD burning programs, well, those are just fancy window dressing, if you will, and and once you make all your selections and select what you're going to burn, the program then calls and uses these command line programs. So, you know, uh, those command line programs are extremely powerful. Okay, so let me talk about a few basic commands to help you start getting your way around the terminal. Open up a terminal in whatever desktop environment you want to use. It doesn't, you know, whatever you're using, KDE or GNOME or what have you. Just open up a terminal and you will see a prompt. Now, the prompt contains a lot of information in it. It usually um, will have, I mean, sometimes it will have the name of your directory. If you see a little squiggly line, a, a tilde, uh, it's, called, it's called a tilde. It's the character that's in the upper left-hand corner of your keyboard next to the number 1. Uh, that's called a tilde. That the tilde character stands for your home directory. So sometimes the prompts in different distributions are a little bit different, but it generally will contain where you are, what directory you happen to be in, and it will have a little prompt sign, a little, little dollar sign or something like that. And 
and and uh, you know depending on whether or not you're logged in as your normal user or as as root. So let's just start with some basic commands right from where you are. Don't do anything else and just type the following ls. That stands for list and that is a way to list the contents, the files and folders or files and directories of the directory you're in. So presumably you're in your home directory and if you were to type ls you would see a listing of all the files and directories contained within your home. So if you were to then open up Conqueror or Nautilus or another file manager to your home directory, you should see the same it's the same information. The same files and the same directories should be listed. Now, in Linux there is all there are also hidden directories and hidden files, and those begin with a period. And you don't normally see them when you just do a regular ls or when you just open up Conqueror and just list the contents of your home directory. You often have to toggle the view mode, if you will, so you can see the hidden files. And hidden files often have configuration settings and, and other things like that, that that are accessed by programs, but that you don't normally need to access, which is why they're hidden in the first place. But in the terminal, if you were to do ls-a... A, the dash A stands for all. Now you would see a list of all the files in your home directory, hidden and non-hidden files and directories. Now another way you can list files is using the dash L option. So if you were to do ls dash L, you would see a listing of all your non-hidden files and directories in a sort of a long format you know with additional information lists your permissions and and who the owner and group is and the, the date and all of that that's the dash l uh, option and let me stop right there let me explain something I probably should have said right off the bat the the, the syntax of, of entering commands generally speaking commands are entered in the following syntax in the in the terminal you'll have the command first. Then you'll have a dash with any options that are available. And then you'll have what are called arguments or or what or what it's affecting or what you're doing. Uh, so let me give you an example. We just did the ls command using two different arguments. We did dash l and we did dash a. Now you can combine you can combine the options. Did I say arguments? I meant options. We did the ls command with two options, the dash l and the dash a. You can combine them. So you can have ls dash la. That's two options. And then the argument in this case is going to be a, a you know which directory you're executing that command on. If you leave it blank, it will be the current directory. But you could put in a different directory as an argument. So type in the following ls space dash la space forward slash usr forward slash bin and then enter. So that is now doing a long listing of all the files in the usr bin directory. So those are the three components of entering the command in at that at the command prompt. Not every command has options not every command requires arguments. You can often find information about commands by typing 
in man, M-A-N, and then the command name. So you can type in man space ls. The man stands for manual or manual page. Linux contains documentation about all the commands. They're called the man pages. And the, I, th I think there's a man page for almost everything. And so you could just type in man and then space and the name of the command. And you'll see the syntax and some examples and some information some and some help on how to use a particular command. Okay, so that's the ls, the list command. Uh, the next command I'll mention is cd, and that stands for change directory. It's a way to jump around uh, to different directories. So you're in your home directory, and if you were to type cd space slash usr slash bin, you would jump directly to the usr bin directory. So, so cd, you can change directories. If you're in a directory, if you're in your home directory, and let's say you have a you have a subdirectory called music, and you want to go into that folder, and and if you're in your home directory, you can just do cd music, and it will take you into that subdirectory. Now, if you're in your music subdirectory and you want to go back up a level to your home directory, you can do cd space and then two periods, or cd space tilde, takes you directly to your home directory. All right, the next command I'm going to mention is the sort of two different commands that go together. One is CP for copy, and one is MV for move. Copy, CP lets you copy files from, you know, uh, uh, from one directory or location to another directory. And MV allows you to move the file, so it actually... It's like a, you know, it just moves it. So you don't have two copies. You just have one copy that's been moved from one location to another location. The move command, MV, is also used to rename files. So if you're in your home directory and you have a file called test and you want to rename it to uh, test backup, you would just type MV test space test backup, and it would just move, move it from, from test to test backup. Um, there's the command rm for remove. It's almost like a delete, but now you got to be careful. Anything that's that's removed with the remove command cannot be undone. And then a, another command, sort of a basic little command here, is mkdir or make directory. This is how you can create directories. If you're in your home folder and you want to create a directory called music, just type mkdir space music, and that will create a directory. Okay, a couple more commands here, and um, uh, less the command less l e s s lets you print out uh, a file, um, a, say a text file to the screen. You can just basically, you know, print the commands or, or um, excuse me, print the contents of the file onto the screen. So if you have a text file called file.txt and you just want to look at it, just type less space file.txt and it will just it will show you the, the, the contents. You can use page up or down to scroll and then Q for, to quit back out. Um, a, a, a more, uh, well, you can, you can um, combine commands using what's called the pipe character. The pipe character is above your enter key on your keyboard. 
I think it's usually a shifted backslash key, but it's a straight line, you know, a straight up and down line. Um, and 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 this takes two com it basically takes two commands and pipes them together and or connects them together, if you will. So here's an example. Let's say you were doing ls dash la. Okay, that's that command again to list everything you know in your home directory. Space so ls space dash la space pipe space less. What that will do is it will print the contents of your home directory. It will pipe it through into the less command, which, as you remember, what that does is it takes whatever the contents are and prints it on your screen and allows you to do page up and page down. Normally, if you just do ls-la and you have a, let's say you have a thousand files, well, it will just scroll past really fast and you may not be able to see it all, even if you have, um, you know, your, your, even if your terminal has the scroll bar. Well, if you enter in this command, it will let you, it'll basically pause, you know, let you look at one page at a time. And you can just do page up or page down to go back and forth and then quit to go out. But that pipe character, character combined the two commands. It combined the ls-la with less, and it, it put them together into one output. Um, you can also redirect contents of a command to something else uh, using the, the uh, greater than character, which is a shifted period. That's the little triangle that's, that's pointing to the right. So, for example, if you did ls-la space greater than space listfiles.txt, what that does is it that that takes the output of ls-la, and instead of printing it on the screen, it directs it it redirects that to a file. It creates a file called listfiles.txt, a, a text file with the contents of your home directory in it then you can just use less and look at that text file or use some other you know text editor to look at that text file every time you did that command the text file would be overwritten if you wanted to append onto the end of the file so the text file just continues to grow with more data in there you would use two greater than characters together so it would be ls-la space uh, greater than greater than space listfiles.txt and then it would just keep appending um, the data onto the end of the file it wouldn't be overwritten every single time I do this I have a a podcatcher client that um, that does it that operates as a script in the command line and I have it when it's done it prints the output of what it did to a text file so I can see what it did every day and it appends it to the end so if I miss a few days I can go back and look at that text file it doesn't get overwritten so that's an example of using of using that that type of, of uh, character combination okay so a couple more quick commands here the first one is SU stands for switch user allows you to switch from your regular user to the root user while you're in the terminal you just type in SU and it will ask you for the root password and the and the prompt will also change after you after you complete that process to let you know you're now acting as root and another little two finer 
final points, um, the terminal has what's called tab completion. So as you're, as you're typing something out, let's say, for example, you have a, a long file in your home directory called, you know, um, this is a list of all my files.txt. And you want to view the contents of that using the less command we talked about. So you would type in less space, and you could start typing this is a list of all my files.txt, but that's really long. That's a lot of typing. So if you were to just start typing it like this is a, and then hit tab, assuming there's no other file that, that has similar name, it will just complete the rest of the file name. It'll just complete the rest of the file name for you. It'll fill in the blanks. If you have two files that are similar, like let's say you have file1.txt and file2.txt, and you type in fi, and then you hit tab, it will, and you do, you hit tab twice, it will list both files for you, and it will fill in as much as it can, and it will stop where there's a discrepancy at the one or the two, for example, and lets you fill in the rest. And then, of course, you can keep hitting tab after you type in the one or two. So tab completion in the command line is awesome. And then the last thing I'm going to mention is how to exit out. You know, you could type exit, 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 to, you know, to get out of the terminal. Or you could close the window. But me, again, being a keyboard shortcut guy, I just like to hit Control-D, and that will exit out of the command line. Exit out of the terminal, that is. So hopefully this has been helpful. I know it's been a lot, so... Uh, but that is all that I've got for this week, so let me close up the shop. All right, everybody, thanks for the tremendous feedback once again uh, by email and the forums. It's been awesome. Um, I, you know, now that I think about it, I realize I kind of covered a lot in this episode and I went kind of fast. Hopefully you guys have taken something from this and it's been helpful. Maybe something you have to go back and listen to a couple of times and we can talk more about it in the forums. There's a lot more. I mean, I just tried to give you the basics of just kind of getting around. And, uh, you know, in fact, one user had mentioned the idea of doing a command of the week segment, and that's not a bad idea. So maybe that's something we'll implement at some point so we can explore some of these in more detail. So that's it for this week. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the preliminary stages of installing a distribution to your hard drive. And what I mean by that is partitioning and bootloaders, just at a very high level. And this will be in advance of some episodes on installing SUSE Linux 10.1. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, tell all your friends and family about this podcast, and uh, I do appreciate it. You guys take care. This has been Episode 14 of Linux Reality. Have a great week, everybody. I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.